Peach Pundit the Podcast is a conversation filled with the personal opinions of the people who are participating. Any view or opinion expressed belongs only to the person who expressed it and not with anyone with whom that person is professionally affiliated. Hey folks, welcome to another episode of Each Pun of the Podcast. I am Jason Pye, joined by our my, my awesome buddies, Scott, Elizabeth Turner, and Buzz Brockway. Guys, it's good to see you. Good what happened you. to the Allison Brockway? Why do I still get Elizabeth tagged? He, he lost pit, the Allison tag. Because you pissed me off on text message earlier. Well, uh, <laughs> likewise, brother. Likewise. So we should, char- comes we should charge. Goes- we should, that's a whole new revenue stream for us, charging people oh to see our private text. That. Yeah, yeah, that's that, never uh, going to happen. There's no amount of money that I would $50, accept. $50,000 a week. No. That would uh, maybe... Absolutely, no. absolutely not. Like our text, our text messages are are exactly that. They are our text messages, and I can I can honestly say, like, it, it's the the text messages. Like, it, and I'll just say this: we are exactly the same as we are. Here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's nothing really maybe, hidden well, there. Maybe a little less restrained, right? I mean, if you think that this is restrained, it's yeah, Buzz, less though. Buzz did say crap the other day. So there, there, is, there, is, there is there is that yeah i confess yes yeah he, he did by the way in in this household crap is a dollar word oh you know, wow. We, wow we 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 have a sliding scale progressive if you will system <laughs> in place for 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 profanity crap ass damn all worth a dollar the s word is three oh. f f word is five well, i would so. be broke <laughs> I told I told Reagan, and, and by the way, I, I let Emily listen to the comments you guys uh, made last week after after I got you know abruptly kicked off the podcast <laughs> because I accidentally hit my microphone and unplugged it and don't really otherwise know what happened. That's just my guess. She she was very touched by what you guys sh- said and she really appreciated it. And, and Reagan yeah. is absolutely adorable and she is she is a fun kid and i really hope one day when we can when we're if we ever get back up on video i actually can bring her on she did say though guys the next time i do the podcast she wants to come on and and spend a couple minutes and yeah. just and just say hey so yeah. maybe i maybe we can do that next week when she's back absolutely that sounds awesome the Scott adorableness the adorableness is always a, a welcomed uh, it's, it's, it's certainly an upgrade over the three of us yo-yos. Oh, it would definitely, but no, it's she. She's just an absolutely wonderful kid, and and she was upset when her mom told her last week that I might have to spend some time up in up in Washington D.C. from time to time, you know, a couple nights or three at a time. And she she apparently got so upset by it she didn't talk for about half an hour. <laughs> so this is a new facet in my life, and I'm sorry I talk about it when I do, but like. It, it's new. It's it's fun. It's it's it's. Um, hey man. I'm learning a lot as I go. But you guys hashtag, didn't come. Hashtag girl dad. It's an awesome thing. <laughs> yeah, you guys. Uh, you guys didn't come here to listen to me talk to listen to me talk about a, a wonderful seven, soon to be eight year old. But for those of you who are on Facebook, I posted some pictures early this morning because I couldn't sleep, and she of her. So feel free to go look at them. But speaking of adorableness, Scott Brian Kemp has issued an executive order to suspend the gas tax to give relief uh, to Georgians who have been dealing with inflation. Scott, gas prices is summer, which means gas prices have gone up again. 
of course I drive an electric car, so I don't have to deal with this anymore. But <laughs> I, I reckon, I reckon, of course I pay for that through a car payment. I, it's like, I'm not, I'm not still spending the money. I am, believe me, but you know, inflation has eased, but Americans are still and Georgians, especially are still feeling the, the, the pinch in their wallets from, from inflation and just general cost of living. Yeah. So the New York times actually had an article today after I put out the agenda, <clears throat> They had posted posted a an article that said that fuel costs are actually driving inflation right now, and this particular administration doesn't seem to want to do anything substantive around dealing with gas prices. So the governor, as is he as he is allowed to under state law, did something that was kind of counterintuitive. He declared a state of emergency, which you know if you for the uninitiated sounds like a hurricane's coming or there's been a tornado or what have you and that allows him essentially it's just a a legislator legislative maneuver if you will or something a legal maneuver that allows him to take this action to suspend the gas tax here's the truth right we're looking at a massive surplus again. We had a massive surplus before. He had suspended the fuel tax during the COVID era. He ran that all the way through basically the towards the tail end of last year and was able to replace the money that the state did not collect from the excise tax on fuel with general fund money that had been collected from capital gains and income tax and sales tax, all the general fund sources of revenue. So he had money to, to do that last year. And so he has the money to do it again this year, because once again, projections were way off. There's going to be a massive surplus, multiple billions of dollars, and the state's going to have too much money. And so the, the observation I'm making out of this is, yeah, inflation is high and gas prices are, are high and Bidenomics or Bidenflation or whatever it is you call it is a thing. But if you have multiple billions of dollars in surplus every year for multiple years, has anybody asked the question? Is anybody raising their hand to say, hey, are we overtaxed? Because it sure seems that way to me. No, I, I don't buzz. I, you know, I'll, I'll come to you. I, I don't see anybody saying that. I don't see many people saying that we're overtaxed because – a lot of what's happening in Washington, D.C., and I'm speaking more about Washington, D.C. than anything else right now, it seems so focused on culture war issues than than the it, people are talking about inflation. But it's almost like a it, it's like a baked in the cake issue. They, you know, they're not really talking about much else. It's mostly it's mostly about culture war issues. But Buzz, what are you hearing from people down in your neck of the woods in Gwinnett County? <laughs> well, as you all were talking, I was kind of scanning through Twitter because I remember there were several Democrats who were like, oh, sure, fine, go ahead and do this. But, you know, we have, they expressed various problems with this. You know, Senator Elena Parent said, well, inflation's way down. So That's not true. No, that's not true. Demonstrably she, false, Senator Parent. She says it's uh, legally questionable. Okay. Maybe for, she'll, she'll maybe allow it for a month, but it's did she Did she celebrate when the New Mexico mayor suspended the, the Constitution <laughs> of the United States? That's a good, that's a good question. God, uh, that that hold, hold that hold on, before that issue, <laughs> I want to I want to circle back to that for a second. Yes. Go ahead, Buzz. <laughs> well, Dr. Michelle Aud, who's a state representative now, she 
she she says takes a little different approach than you, Scott. She sees this, you know, this in her mind, this is a tacit acknowledgement that we have a record bur- budget surplus that can be invested. So we need long-term investments to generate the great great value and um, not not short-term gas taxes. And I would fully and now, expect now, a Democrat to say that I can spend that money better than you can. <laughs> and then Derek Mallow actually says something that I agree with, and Cole Muzio agreed with it as well and, and offered to work with him on a bill to do just this. He says, hey, we need to get remove the tax off of menstrual products and diapers here in Georgia. So, Heck yeah. That's something yeah, I think we can all yes, get around. That, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, we heard a range, but, but yes. I mean, are we overtaxed? I think it's uh, well it's hard to tell and the reason i say that is <laughs> you know how much we, you know georgia's economy is doing very well i'm not as confident as others are that we will not experience a recession uh sometime in the near future especially if uh, the current occupant of, of the white house gets elected again food you know i think the governor made the right step here food if food, you look at the, the inflation numbers that came out today, and essentially the spin you saw from left-leaning economists was, hey, look, if you ignore gas and food, things are great. Right. Well, what do mo- everybody uses gas, you know, ha- consumes food and uses gas. So, yeah, let's um, throw let's throw housing in that, too, because that's also yeah. a major a major expense on It's almost uh, like the, the f- a football coach over the weekend said, you know, if you take away those five big plays, we did great. <laughs> But the other opponent scored on all five of those plays, so you can't. So you can't take out food and 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 gas. Yeah, uh, gas sure, yeah, sure. Have, have shot up a lot here, and uh, sure, we lost hurt. 30, 35 to fourteen. But man, you take away those five scoring plays, man. Exactly. You know, exactly. we only if you take away those on, those five scoring plays, you know, we we or five scoring drives, we only gave up fifty yards. <laughs> so I yeah. think you know, look, I, I I think you know to Scott's uh, original point. We might need to. We might need to take a look at. Well, I, I guess. Wait a minute. This is, this this is the mo, the excise tax. The excise on fuel. tax. Yeah. So which is de- know, this, dedicated to road and bridges. And we, yes, we can do that. We can do this because we have a surplus on income and right uh, corporate income taxes. So yes, I, I I would be in favor of an additional cut. And I think what they need to do. Is what the old, you know, when I got elected in 2010, the bill that landed like a thud was saying, roll back a bunch of these, a bunch of the special sales tax breaks and lower the income tax and the corporate income tax, cut those down to 3%. And that's the kind of uh, reform we need to be looking at here in my mind. The, the, the interest is the, the question about you tax too, we tax too much is one and looking at it from a Georgia perspective, obviously, I think the answer to that is yes. But I'm curious to throw this, and I'm sorry to turn everything national, but spending has been on my mind this week because Congress <laughs> is trying to get through something they, on appropriations. They keep spending. They keep spending. But, you know, I'm curious what you guys think, because, you know, we're going to run, I think, the budget deficit estimate for 2024 is $1.7 trillion. Gosh. And... If if you look at the numbers, because Congress is just currently debating on discretionary spending, we're not talking about mandatory spending, which is you know that plus interest on the debt is is more of of the federal outlays than discretionary spending. Discretionary spending is about twenty seven percent of all federal outlays. 
So looking at the numbers today, I, I just did some back of the envelope math. And now when I say back of the envelope math, math, I mean the Google spreadsheet, the, <laughs> I figured that there's the laugh. Jesus Christ, guys, <laughs> the all, but roughly $200 billion of discretionary spending this year or next year, fiscal 2024 will be paid for through debt. Mm-hmm. That's holy smacks. So we're talking about 80, 85 percent, I think was the percentage. I don't have it pulled up here in front of me. Eighty five percent of discretionary spending will be financed through debt, not tax revenue debt. Yeah. And this speaks to Congress's inability to fix the major problems with the federal budget, which are Social Security, Medicare and interest on the national debt. Let me ask you guys a question. Knowing. Obviously, I think the three of us all would much rather see reform to those programs and spending cuts, discretionary spending cuts and reform to entitlement programs that keep promises to seniors, but also make sure that those programs remain viable in the future. Are we too taxed too much at the federal level, knowing what we know now? Oh, gosh, absolutely. No question. I mean, they, they, it's, it's, a, it's not a revenue problem up there. It's a spending problem. They, they, they receive an enormous sum of money. They just can't control themselves and spend even more. And they're not under, you know, what is it, 30-something states, Scott, that have balanced budget requirements? Blue, state, blue states and red states? I thought it was more uh, than that. You might be right. Now, so I th- why can't I, the feds do it, too? We need the ghost <laughs> of Milton Friedman to yeah. rise up and walk the halls of Congress slapping heads. That's what needs to happen. Because, <laughs> you know, this the whole Chicago School of Economics theory – is that if you starve the beast, they it, it will it will die or it will shrivel up, and you will have more liberty because the government isn't spending so much. Well, poor Milton Friedman, because they've they like ex- have completely ignored the fact they don't have the money to spend. Yeah. You know, there was a a bill that I had introduced a long time ago while I was in the legislature. It said any federal dollar that came into the state would have to be approved by the state legislature because we were we were more responsible than Congress. And, <laughs> and it was, it was a messaging bill, but it was, it started a conversation about where are these federal dollars coming from? Cause they don't exist, right? They're either borrowed or they're printed. Very few of them are, you know, they're like unicorns. They're rare. You know, federal dollars that are actually real are rare. Yeah. They're, they don't exist. So when a local city council votes to accept federal aid or federal grants for building a sidewalk to nowhere, which has happened in my own little town of 12,000 people, that money gets passed into the national debt. It doesn't exist. So why are we allowing for that type of spending, the type of pork or the earmarks or whatever to continue? The earmark side, I mean, uh, I I don't don't like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you're, yeah, you, you, I but, opened up a can of worms. I'm sorry. You you did open up a can of worms, but I, I think I want to revisit the conversation about the federal budget in a future podcast because I, I think I don't think people realize how perilous the situation is. So let's let's come yeah. back to it in a future podcast and dedicate some more time to it. Yeah, and later I, in the month, as we're staring at, into the abyss. Yeah, when there's a government <laughs> shutdown, because we we all know that's happening. Scott, I'm going to kick it to you. Actually, you're kicking it to Buzz. Buzz, I'm going to kick oh. it to you. Oh, okay. For the so, plug. Yeah, so our, our friends at Americans for Prosperity Georgia 
are having coming up uh, next week, actually. It's Wednesday, September 20th, a week from the time we're recording this. Uh, so Wednesday, Wednesday, September 20th, 6 p.m., the AFP Georgia Pathway to Prosperity Summit. Uh, it's going to be at the uh, restaurant called Canoe on Paces Ferry Road in Atlanta. And you can you can go to their website, uh, AmericansProsperity.com, uh, and you can find the... Uh, find the information there we will link to that but there's going to be some great speakers coming up there uh, eric erickson friend of friend of the program lieutenant governor burt jones will be there and another interesting fellow named king randall and if you don't if you aren't familiar with king randall you find him on twitter he's he's a prodigious twitterer or x or whatever the whatever the web whatever you call those things now but king randall he's i had the opportunity to meet him he's a really interesting guy cool guy He's, he's just a guy who lives in the Albany area who saw a need, and that need was that young men down there were not doing well in school. He started kind of mentoring them in his basement, in his house, and now he started a school. And he's teaching, he's providing an education for these young men. And he's a very fascinating guy, and he's built it. He's, he's done a great job. He's run up against the system. We could go on and on, and I'm sure you'll hear a lot of his story if you go to AFP's uh, event. But it's the Pathways to Prosperity event coming up next Wednesday, September 20th at 6 p.m. Uh, go to their website. We'll provide the link for it for you so you can click to it and sign up. But it's a, it'll be a great event, and you'll have a great time. Thanks, Buzz, and thanks to AFP for uh, continuing to sponsor the Peach Pundit podcast, or excuse me, Peach Pundit, the podcast, as <laughs> as we have rebranded it to be. A lot of rebranding going on today. <laughs> so I, I I don't know if you guys spent a lot of time on this uh, last week when it was released, but I sure as hell did. The, the original special grand jury report related to the election case, it was released on Friday, and it, it included a lot of names, I think, that maybe surprise some people and there were certainly a lot of names in there that probably shouldn't have been there and that i think people are wondering wondering why and for example david purdue and kelly leffler were both recommended uh for prosecution uh by the special grand jury uh, although i i don't like david purdue and i'm not a big fan of kelly leffler uh that seemed to be very much a stretch uh for prosecution lindsey graham is actually more understandable in some mm-hmm. respects uh but uh uh, there were other names in there, <clears throat> some of people we know, actually. Mm-hmm. There was one name in there who I would have loved to have seen prosecuted and think she probably deserved to be prosecuted. Yes, Kalita, I'm talking about you. But, <laughs> I'm sure she's uh, listening. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I just want someone to make sure she heard that. God, personality disorder. Jesus. The, but I, I, one thing I'll say, there, as I mentioned, there are names that shouldn't have been there. And the fact that they were even recommended to some degree bothers me, but I'm curious to get you guys' take. And Buzz, I'm going to start with you because I went with Scott first last time. Yeah. What, what stuck out to you in this report? I didn't read the whole thing, but I, I think, I guess what struck me was Fonnie Willis only only indicting 19 people seems restrained <laughs> based on what, what this special grand jury wanted to do was indict half the world. Wow. It was, I mean, I, I guess... They definitely bought into the narrative that this was a gigantic grand conspiracy involving dozens and dozens and dozens of people all across the country because they sure wanted to throw everybody in jail. Well, I thought it was interesting because they showed the vote tallies for each person. Yeah, they did. Right. So 
all the alternate electors had a nine to nine with three abstentions, mm-hmm. except for Burt Jones, which we'll talk about in a second. But even even the the grand jury was split on whether or not the alternate electors had committed a crime. Nine to nine. That's yeah. what you're going to, you know, nine to nine for Sean Still, I think was awesome. You know, we'll, we'll mm-hmm. talk about him later, too. But that was also very interesting. It showed the vote tallies for each count. Yeah. But didn't well, the, show it, it, you it, any details about who the witnesses were or what the mm-hmm. evidence was that they considered. It just simply said, we think that these people committed the crime under these code sections. Well, Scott, let me let me also clarify, because you're right. It does show that the nine to nine vote, with the exception of Burt Jones for for the, the alternate slate. But there's another section and it looks like it's on page five of the of the report, page seven of the PDF, page five of the actual report that shows, you know, 19 to two with another in another section of code that they wanted to charge these guys under. And it was all 19 to two across the board, including for Burt Jones. And I don't see, and there's a statute listed here, but I'm not going to sit here and waste the time and try to point out which one it was. But I've said before, and just a matter of consistency being important to me, I don't, I don't think those folks should have been Mm -hmm. indicted or charged. Yeah. Was it the 16 dash 10 dash 20? Yeah. Okay. That's false statements. Yeah. So those are false statements or false documents. The dot one is is documents. The the but also the sixteen dash ten dash twenty is false statements, making false statements. Yeah, it looks like there are four statutes listed here under this particular section of of the recommendations. But I mean, it was a bad idea for them to go after those guys anyway, because by all accounts, these guys did not intend to do anything wrong. Right. And, and that mm-hmm. has to you have to prove intent under these. It actually, the case law is very substantive around proving intent. But I, I, to answer your, your question to Buzz, you know, were there names that were surprising to you? Burke Jones. Mm-hmm. Like, she was not allowed to investigate Burke Jones. Well, and- she, she well, I think sorry to jump in, Scott, but she can investigate. But she's not allowed to indict. If you if you read the if you go back and look at the ruling that I think it was Judge McBurney. She can investigate, but because she did, and even the the clearly she did investigate, right? Yeah. Right. Well, I don't. Is that appropriate? I I think it's a fair question to ask because the judge had slapped her around on it already mm-hmm. and had said that if if she was going, you know, if there was going to be something presented, that it would have to be by somebody else, mm-hmm. and and yet she persisted. <laughs> There he is, yeah. listed bold as day in the in the report as somebody that the the grand jury should be indicting, when she clearly had enough of an axe to grind with him politically that the judge had already slapped her down for it. So his name being included in this stood out to me, mm-hmm. but the one that was most alarming was Senator William Ligon, who. Mm-hmm. I, I deeply disagreed with how he handled himself and on his way out the door. He was in his last couple of months as a state senator. He declared he wasn't going to run again. So all that as a caveat to say that he, is, he was being considered by this grand jury to be indicted on making false statements. Well, the problem with that is that all of the stuff appears in this report to be related to his work as a chairman of a 
committee in the legislature Mm -hmm. and the state constitution, Mm -hmm. it is, if you want to look it up, Article 3, Section 4, Paragraph 9, under legislative privileges. You cannot be held account for anything you say in a committee. So him being considered to be committing a crime by speaking his thoughts or what he thought was true or even if he lied, even if he didn't believe what he was saying, that is constitutionally protected. The, in the state constitution actually contemplates that a, a, a member of the legislature cannot be prosecuted for something that they say in their role as a state senator. I, I would also say consistent with what Jack Smith had in his federal indictment that, you know, talking about Donald Trump's, you know, constitutionally protected right. He didn't word it like this, but constitutionally protected right to say the election was stolen or to, to lie about that, to seek legal remedies. You know, he, he acknowledged all that stuff. Yep. And that what ultimately happened on January 6th, which, and look, I'll, I'll be clear here. I don't think the federal case is going anywhere. I, I'm skeptical about this case just because of the, the sheer breadth of it and trying to prosecute, what, 18, 19 people at one time, even though, yeah. you know, two of them are, have sought separation and granted separation. But I'm skeptical of that. But the, the, there is, those constitutional concerns, not just the one you mentioned, but the broader constitutional concerns, the mm-hmm. fact that the First Amendment, the right to free speech, has been incorporated against the states and to actively try to prosecute or, or consider prosecution, I should say, or, or recommend indictment of, a, of anyone for, for expressing a belief that the election was stolen, I find that problematic. Yeah. It is highly, highly problematic. But yep. that's the that's the crux of this case, apparently. You know, yeah. is, and, and that's that gets to the heart of the matter of what she's trying to prosecute and why it it, it is alarming for so many reasons. But this is it. I mean, if you are going to begin lowering the bar on what is prosecutable speech to this level, you are creating. Uh, a scenario where people are going to be fearful for speaking out on things that they, that are deeply held beliefs. And that's just not American. It's un-American. So I'll say that I I will say this two wrongs, you know, this this is what the old adage, two wrongs don't make it right. (laughs) There have been more things I've said in the past week that make me sound like a parent that I'm comfortable with. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Two, Two wrongs don't make it right. If anyone stated that Donald Trump had the election stolen from him and that there was mass election fraud. Anybody who 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 says that is wrong. They have a right to say it. Mm-hmm. I don't like it. Well, I don't like that they have the right. I don't like what they're saying, but they have a right to say it. You know, I think Diet Coke sucks and prefer Diet Pepsi. I, you know, that is my right to say that. <laughs> I mean, you're right. <laughs> I am absolutely right. Doesn't mean you're right. But I'll, uh, I'll defend your right to say it. Thank you, Scott. <laughs> thank you, Scott. You're back on my good list now. <laughs> the the I, I, it's it's but that's I mean I, as far as that being the crux of the case, I'm not sure I agree with that because I think there there's an actual conspiracy here related mm-hmm. to uh, the electors. I think the electors themselves are are 
innocent of any wrongdoing because I don't think they knew they were doing anything wrong. But I think the people who are in at the head of that conspiracy to to somehow or were through vice vice president Mike Pence to change the, the count of the electoral electoral votes. I think that's the conspiracy. I think that's prosecutable. Whether they get a conviction, man, I I'm skeptical because I just think it's too broad in terms of what she's trying to do. I, I would have focused on a handful of people. And by the way, Buzz, I'm gonna come back to you in a second. But by the way, the the judge and who's who's handling Mark Meadows' request uh, for to transfer his case to federal court denied a stay today. Mm-hmm. So that's some other recent news on this front. But Buzz, I'm going to give you the final word on this before I move on. Well, I, I agree with much of what you guys said, that, and and, I, and it raises a lot of questions of how, of why Fannie Willis decided to prosecute who she did decide to prosecute. I, I'm still scratching my head as to why Senator Sean Still is in there, other than it's just hey, there's a Republican elected official. Let me go humiliate him and try to get him out of office. I, that just continues to puzzle me. I, I agree, you know, William William Ligon, I disagreed with how he went about things, but he had every right and maybe even a responsibility to hold a hearing in his committee in the Senate, which is what he did. And yeah, Rudy, Rudy Giuliani, I wouldn't have invited, invited Rudy Giuliani or at least you know, would have had hard questions for him, which I watched some of that. I uh, don't recall any real hard questions from any of the Republicans. Some of the Democrats did, but um, yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of outrageous and, and ill-informed quite frankly of this grand jury that they think that they, sh- that that should be prosecuted. I, I, I would invite it really Giuliani just for the laughs. I want to be clear about that here. <laughs> and Scott also uh, pictures of Scott with his head in his hands, wondering how the hell he got there. <laughs> so I, I'll, I'll, I'll say all that, but you know, it, this is, I don't know, man, this has just been, I, I would like to hear at some point, I think you guys would both agree sooner rather than later, an explanation of the process of this. Did the grand jury just make these recommendations without input from the DA's office or did the DA DA's office say, these are our targets. What do you Mm -hmm. think? I think, I think we deserve an explanation considering Mm -hmm. some of the names who are listed here. And like I said, no love lost. I don't like David Perdue. I don't care for Kelly Loeffler, but they should not have even, I guess even been come up in this, this case at all. And one last thing we still, am I right in saying this? There still is not a prosecutor who has stepped forward to say, yes, I will I will take a look at Burt Jones, the Burt Jones situation, right? Not to my knowledge. So, not to my knowledge. Uh, the, the, to me, that raises more flags of why, you know, there are plenty of my, my own DA here in Gwinnett County is a partisan Democrat. Believe you me, there are quite a few of them around the state who would, you would think politically, would love the opportunity to sink their teeth into a high profile Republican elected official who they think committed a crime, but nobody stepped up to do it. That's very, That's, that is so telling. Yeah. It is so telling that you can't find a, a single Democrat prosecutor in the state that would step into that role. I, that, that says it all, yeah. doesn't it? I, I think, I think, I don't know that that says it all because you're dealing with someone who is, is arguably higher profile than anyone but Trump, Giuliani and Meadows. So I think that's one, I think that's one area where I was like, I, you know, 
it, it says something, but it doesn't say it all. If that well, makes any sense. I mean, it, it obviously Fanny's not afraid of, of going after Donald Trump. I mean, there's yeah, a mugshot, but, she, but she's got, I mean, to me, I was telling, I was telling a friend this the other day, this is a win-win for her. If every, if she loses every one of these cases, if every single of these 19 people are, their cases are exonerated. Yeah. They're all exonerated. She's still a political winner because she, you know, she's still a national hero to a certain brand of Democrats who just say, well, she had the guts when nobody else would. Fonny stepped up and tried to take on Trump. No, she's uh, she she's setting herself up for a, a run for statewide office. And yeah, I think that's I think yeah. that's pretty I think that's pretty evident. And, and she's and gonna she, be an AG a job national open. fundraising machine. It's it's a grift. I mean I'm not I'm, I, I don't I'm not I think she believes what she believes, but this will turn into a grift. I I I I I, I think I, I I agree that it will turn into a grift. It the 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 only thing that's making me say it's not currently a grift is that there is actual substance here. There is criminality. Yes. There is criminal yeah. behavior here. Now, is that criminal behavior going to result in a conviction? That's up to a jury to decide. Yeah. At, at the end of the day, uh, at the end of the day, my my, I will say. I think I said this last week, Buzz, or I said it recently, or I told someone recently. I don't remember where I said it, but I know I said it. The the documents case down in Florida. If you want a conviction of Donald Trump, that is your best shot. Right. Um, I think there is plenty of reason to believe that there is a case here. Yeah. I think that I think that Fonnie yeah. Willis has made critical errors. That is ultimately yeah. going to mean there's not a conviction. Well, yeah. I mean, the Coffee County part of this is, yeah, <laughs> that that's that's big trouble for those that are involved in that foolishness. Yeah. So, Buzz, uh, I'm going to kick it to you for our next live read. Actually, you're kicking it to Scott. You got those back up backwards. <laughs> let me let me let me say this again, Scott. I'm going to kick it to you for our next live read. And before I read it, I'm just going to say I disagree with Jason's take on Kelly Leffler. I think she's doing great work for the conservative cause. Listen, <clears throat> AI is not the boogeyman. <laughs> Candidates for office will be using it to win. You can either get ahead of the curve, or you can pretend to be quote unquote old school, but you'll lose. Lisex Media. Election Domination Mastermind is the best AI education for conservatives. Register at dominate.lesixmedia.com. Lesix Media, L-E-S-I-X Media.com. Since the very first cohort is starting on September 21st, we decided to keep the early bird pricing all the way up until they start. Use the code PEACH to get half off the normal price. You can choose to lose... Or you can choose to dominate. Register today at dominate.lesixmedia.com. Thank you to our friends over at Lesix Media, Rob Lee, for being a partner level Patreon to the Peach Pundit, the podcast. So, as I'm, thank you, Scott. And as I was trying to figure out the best way to segue into this next segment, uh, I, I there was there's an easy way and like the cheap way to do it. And then there's the the other way to do it. And I'm going to read, given in light of today's news that Senator Mitt Romney will be retiring after this term, and presumably that means retiring from public life, at least in elected office, there's a really interesting quote here or story here about him. So I'm going to read it real fast, and then I'll, I'll move into our next segment. Romney tried to work productively, productively within his caucus. He drew a distinction between the Republican colleagues he viewed as sincerely crazy and those who were faking it for votes. 
He was open, for instance, to partnering with Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, the conspiracy spouting, climate denying, anti-vax Trump disciple, because while he could be exasperating, once Romney told me after listening to an extended lecture on Hunter Biden's Ukrainian business deals, he blurted, Ron, is there any conspiracy you don't believe? You could at least count on Ron Johnson's good faith. What Romney couldn't stomach any longer was associating himself with people who cynically stoked distrust in democracy for selfish political reasons. I doubt I, I doubt I will work with Josh Hawley on anything, he told me. And that leads us to Colton Moore. <laughs> uh, nice who segue. Is, who is well done. <laughs> he, who is who is and I'm sure Colton does not have any issue with Josh Hawley, despite the fact that he's a big government liberal conservative on spending issues. But he's socially conservative, which I guess passes for oh. all conservatism these days. But right on Trump, that's the he's right on Trump, right? That's the that's the <laughs> only does. defining issue. Fair enough. But Col <laughs> Colton Moore, who also apparently is quote unquote right on Trump for the mindless among us, is if the standard is the man didn't get punched in the face, that is. <laughs> that is an awfully low standard, but that is apparently the message that has come out of a meeting of the Senate Republican caucus in Georgia reporting from the Atlanta Journal Constitution. One GOP insider at the event said the fraught environment is a preview of next year's legislative session, but then noted a silver lining. Nobody punched Colton in the face. So I think it was a resounding success. <laughs> uh, it says it says political insider, maybe not a state senator said it. So I'm, my money is on Brian Robinson. <laughs> uh, who, who, whoever whoever said it, it, it it's pretty interesting that that's the standard that's the standard that you your 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 colleague your colleague has pissed everybody off so much that they i mean that you're never going to get anything done like you might as well go ahead and step down because you will never see your local legislation's done you will never see any of your bills go to the floor uh, because you are universally disliked, and it's not because you're 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 fighting the good fights, because you're an asshole. Um, Scott, you can edit that out later if you want. To. <laughs> nope. But the is this the standard, Scott? Is this is this is this what we? Because you want to talk the, about you want to talk about a grift. Clearly, it's a grift. The, but is it the standard? Obviously not. I think there are still uh, plenty of members of the majority caucus in the Senate who are still very concerned with the fallout that Colton is Colton Moore is delivering to their doorsteps, literally to their doorsteps. And he has not given up the fight. He had a press conference just a couple of days ago where mm -hmm. he brought in Garland Favorito and the George, uh, the voter GA crowd who, if you look at their Facebook stuff, then the, what they allowed to be, place there are insane yes. psychotically insane uh i and, and please sue me for defamation on that because i got screenshots <laughs> well i'd love to go to court so that i can prove something about voter ga when voter ga can't prove anything in court but all that to say that he brought it's probably like 50 people there and into clob 301 which is you know one of the larger rooms and they crowded everybody together to make it seem like it was packed. But there's only like 50 people to show up. But those are the 50 people that are so loud. They drown out the reasonable voices. And, and he is stoking that because he feels like, look, I don't know this. I haven't talked to him. But I know him well enough I, where I, I have come to the belief 
that he is building his name ID for his next statewide or congressional run. And he thinks this is his path forward for his own, his ambition. That's the only thing I, I could use to explain it because, and one side note too, my own state rep is Charlie's bird. <laughs> Charlie's is standing next to him at this press conference. I cannot tell you how disappointing that is to me that my own state rep would engage in this when, when she knows that it's never going to happen, that she feels like she has to, to, to ride this wave alongside of him is unacceptable to me as a voter in this house district. And if anyone is thinking that means that I'm thinking about running for office, by the way, (laughs) clear the thought it isn't happening. I'm not going to run. So Charlie's can, you know, be crazy all she wants. I, there's the only thing I could do is find somebody else's support. And maybe that's something I do do. But in, until then, I am just dismayed by my own elected official participating in this. It's not acceptable to me. And, you know, the, the, the point of the matter is, even if you had every Republican, you still don't have the votes to actually get it, get it a special session called, let alone be successful. So what are you doing it for? The only thing that you've accomplished is attacking your own Republican colleagues. Those are the only people you've named. If you look at the activist emails, which come to my inbox on a regular basis, they're attacking other Republicans. Mm-hmm. How are you moving us towards some sort of conservative vision and, and more liberty and less restrictive government activity by attacking other Republicans? What are you trying to accomplish? if not your own ends. And that's, that's why, yeah, it's, it absolutely is a grift. And, and he, he puts a, he puts a, a link to the donate button on every piece of communication he sends out. <laughs> you know, you know what I miss buzz is, is the era of, and, and this term gets used and I, I don't think it's, it's easy to define or it's overused when it's, when it is used. But I'll, I will say it and I will attempt to define it. I miss the era of statesmen. Yeah. I miss the era of people who take principled stands but recognize – but will work with the with their colleagues to find consensus. Yeah. And, and, and even when they disagree, they can go have dinner that night and act like nothing was wrong. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I, I desperately miss that era because – and look – Politics was much more boring when we were in that era. And there are a handful of people who are around like that, who work in bipartisan fashion mm-hmm. on some issues, but not the big issues that we really need people to work on. The quick story, Buzz and I, during this past session, were coming back from the cafeteria, walking towards the Gold Dome, and a lobbyist was passing us, going in the opposite direction. And he stopped and he looked us up and down and he said, I miss the old crazy and then he kept walking, <laughs> right? Because Buzz and I were considered... We, we were the old crazy. Yeah. We were the old crazy. Right? <laughs> but, but again, it, we developed relationships and, and friendships You know, to this day. Some of my yeah. most meaningful friendships are with my former colleagues on both sides of the aisle. Yeah, there's there's that line. If you guys have ever seen the movie Super Troopers, where uh, they they start talking about shenanigans, and he's like, "But our shenanigans are silly and fun, and his shenanigans are just evil and cruel. They're evil <laughs> shenanigans." Buzz, uh, I'll kick it to you. Yeah, I, I 
I agree with you, Jason. That uh, and I think a lot of people uh, long for that. Just thinking about you know, nine eleven was just the other day. People were passing around videos. One that got passed around a lot, of course, was George W. throwing out the first pitch at Yankee Stadium later in October. I guess in October, early October, when the World Series resumed. Republican, Democrat, cheering, stand, you know, for a president they didn't vote for. I, I doubt he got a lot of votes in New York City, but they were cheering because he was their president. And there, there were a lot of tweets of people saying, I miss that. I miss that, you know, we were united after 9-11 for a great national purpose. So I think there are a lot of people out there like that. And I think, you know, um, I read a book a few years ago, I've mentioned it on the podcast before, by Yuval Levin of American Enterprise Institute called The Time to Build. And he talks about how weak our institutions are, and he has some ideas of what we can do about it. But one thing he says I, I, about... Speak, as luck would have it, Scott actually yeah, there had, had it right there. It's a great book. <laughs> and he talks about it. One of the things he talks about is that in politics, people view... People who get elected, they view this their position as a platform as opposed to the actual job of of a legislator, which, as you as you mentioned, Jason, can be rather boring. Mm-hmm. It's kind of boring, a lot of it. But I think this is like we've gone beyond that. Now it's it's not just people using it as a platform. It's people they have found a way to make money. There was an article last week about Carrie Lake and and other people who they f- they figured out that you know what losing is actually better because I can make a ton of money. And so Colton Moore has figured out he can raise a bunch of money for his political campaign. And as you guys mentioned, well, whatever is it, whatever is next for him, he's building, he's built, laying the groundwork for that. He's losing. He's going to lose. He's not going to win this. He's not going to be successful. He knows never going to be successful in this endeavor. And that's fine because because it it's created this opportunity for him to raise his name ID all across the country and build a national. Uh, donor base to do whatever it is he's going to do. It's all about and, his list. It's all about his list. And you know what? And, and this is where it, it's cynical. Because all of this, not I'm, you know, Colton's the example here. But there was a guy, a congressman in Texas, a couple months from Texas, a couple months ago, complaining about he was upset that people had to work out in the sun in Texas and it was hot, and so he decided he was going to sit on the steps of the Capitol all day. I forget the guy's name. He was going to sit on the steps of the Capitol in in solidarity with the people left to work in the sun outside in Texas. But he had people, he had women, because I saw the pictures in the video, he had women there dabbing him, uh, you know, keeping him cool, putting a cold compress on, handing him water all the time. And he's acting like he's suffering just like a, a guy, you know, a guy in Texas who has to, is a roofer. It was performance art. And a lot of this is just performance art. It's ridiculous. And we ought to just, you know, I, I long for the days when when people just say, I'm not voting for people like you. I don't care if I agree with you 99% of the time on how you vote, which is what people in Colton's district probably do. He votes, you know, they, they agree with his votes 99% of the time. But I don't like what you're doing, and I'm not going to vote for you. And well, that's, that's, you know... It, we need the public to rise up and make that happen. My my, and I don't know parting, how I don't know how it comes about to do that, but it needs to happen. Buzz, you're my, absolutely right. My parting thought on this is: nobody punched Colton in the face yet. 
<laughs> I want to be clear. We're not advocating that anyone no. punch, punch Colton in the face. Per, no, a uh, prediction, a, a, a prediction as opposed to a warning, right? But no, yeah. I mean it's look. I mean he continues down this path. That I I have talked to legislators who are upset enough to do that, and if they thought they could get away with it, they absolutely would. Well, I, if your family's threatened, yeah, yeah, you know, I totally understand that. I, I've always operated. Whenever I meet a lawmaker, uh, I, I've always referred to them as their title, you know, senator, congressman, congresswoman, unless they give me permission to use to go to call them by their first name. Because I respect I respect the title and, and they were elected, so they deserve it with Col- Colton Moore is the type of person who who makes me rethink that policy of mine because he might have been elected. But his conduct is unbecoming of anyone who serves in office at any level of government. I don't care what it is. And he doesn't deserve the title of state senator or the honorable or whatever it may be because people like him are why good people hate or why good people have been disengaged from politics. Mm-hmm. And this is all about his list bill. That's all it's about because Scott is absolutely right. And this will probably be the last time Scott and I agree during the podcast tonight <laughs> because we're about to move into another subject. This guy's absolutely right. He's raising his name ID to do something else. And I'm telling if you Georgia's 14th, con- excuse me, yeah, 14th congressional district is already already endured a ton of embarrassment, but it's embarrassment that they're willing, wittingly taking on through Marjorie Taylor Greene who also doesn't deserve the title that she's been given. But, you know, there's no hope for Georgia 14 if she does something else. And God help us if she gets nominated or elected. If she runs for something else and they nominate Colton Moore. That's all I'm going to say about that. And now we can get on to some fireworks. (laughs) Speaking of the batshit crazy from Northwest Georgia, Marjorie Taylor Greene has finally gotten her wish. There is going to be, quote unquote, a formal impeachment inquiry, but not really asterisk next to it. Kevin McCarthy announced that yesterday at a press conference that he was launching a formal impeachment inquiry of uh, President Joe Biden over the allegations of influence peddling, corruption, yada, 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 so on and so forth. I'm going to I'm going to level set this discussion by saying that Marjorie Taylor Greene has said that she wasn't going to vote for a spending bill until she got an impeachment inquiry. So here we are. So she uh, so, better vote for the spending bill. Yeah, she, she, she <laughs> I mean, she, she, she's turned into a good leadership lackey. I'm sure she will. I don't know that for a fact, but I'm making an assumption based on her past behavior uh, and votes on big issues that have come before the house. Uh, let me, let me level set here in practice. Impeachment has always worked. An impeachment inquiry has always started with a formal vote of the house of representatives. And this was a way to de- demonstrate bipartisanship in the process. There is no hand. There, there is there's a handbook in terms of like how impeachment's been done, but the Constitution itself doesn't define the process. And we have uh, until recently we had scant evidence on how to actually handle this. The way it was handled in the Clinton impeachment is the House launched an impeachment inquiry and and moved forward that way. Prior to that, we only had one other impeachment of a president, and that was Andrew Jack Andrew Johnson, I think, in 1868. So, and then I want to be clear here. When Democrats impeached Donald Trump in 2018, was it? They did also did not take a vote, a formal impeachment inquiry vote. So there is some 
precedent for what McCarthy is doing here. It's I wouldn't say it's good precedent, though. Be that as it may, this is this is where we're starting. This is where things are going. They didn't have the votes for an actual impeachment inquiry, an actual formal one, which is why he didn't do it. So I want to invoke a couple things before we get started. Uh, I wrote a paper about impeachment in 2018 with former Congressman Bob Barr. Bob, for those of you who know, was an impeachment manager during the Clinton impeachment and trial in the Senate in 1998 and 1999. And we described in this paper, which I haven't been able to find online anywhere. I think it got removed from the FreedomWorks website. But we explained the precedent, the, 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 the process that this follows. The starting point, which, and, and I laid this out for some folks yesterday in, in, in talking to them, that one of the, 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 the key thing that we wrote in this is that policy disagreements, differing, different, differing interpretations of statutes, or anger and resentment over an election are not legitimate grounds for impeachment. Violations of the law while in office or the deliberate refusal, refusal to enforce the law, however, would be. And the, we get that from, I think it's Federalist 65, Alexander Hamilton writing about impeachment and the Senate's responsibility to try impeachments talks about how he talks about the impeachment being used for those offenses which proceed from the misconduct of public men, or in other words, from the abuse or violation of some public trust. What I am saying is I do not believe, and I don't believe the founders intended impeachment to be used for offenses or allegations, corruption, that might have occurred before someone entered office. And by office, I'm referring to the office that they currently hold. Scott and I have battled on this, uh, those infamous Peach Pundit podcast thread, <laughs> text threads, among other things, <laughs> in the past couple of days. So I, I'm going to start by saying that I believe this impeachment inquiry is a distraction, that it will not end. It, it, there's a small chance that it ends in the actual impeachment of of Joe Biden, there is no chance that it ends with a conviction. In fact, I think the Senate will eventually, if it does does move forward, it will be bipartisan in the in a bipartisan fashion with which the impeachment uh, charges are dismissed by the Senate. And I firmly believe that there are better things that the uh, United States House of Representatives could be spending its time on. Well, by the way, one of those would include actually funding the government and solving our debt crisis. Be that as it may. And I also don't believe that there's been any credible evidence uh, actually implicating Joe Biden in any of this. There's been a lot of conjecture and a lot of hearsay, but no tangible evidence, which I think is very important. Scott disagrees with me, and that's fine. Scott's entitled to his opinion, be it. Yeah. Well, I think my, my, my position is a little how more, wrong, regardless of how wrong he might be. My position, I think you probably have mischaracterized uh, my position. It's a little more nuanced than that. There are pieces of evidence out there. And there, there is one witness back in 2019 who came forward and said, when Joe Biden says that he was not involved in Hunter Biden's dealings while sitting as the vice president of the United States, I, I can unequivocally say that that is false, that Joe, Joe Biden is a liar. I was a business partner of Hunter Biden, and everything we were doing was with – the vice president and his knowledge. That guy is a guy named Tony, Tony Bobolinsky. I don't know. If, I, I've never heard his name. I've only, I've only read it. Uh, yeah. So he recently 
has come forward to say, I was never given an opportunity to, to testify before the grand jury. And I have evidence of text messages on my cell phones and things that have not been considered before. And I've basically been shut out from this. This is also a guy that was invited to a debate by, by Donald Trump <laughs> back in the day. So we have that as a, a caveat or an extra, extra data nugget. But I'm not certain that there's no evidence. I'm not certain that it didn't continue past the time when, when Joe Biden became president. The, the position of, of Joe Biden has been, I'm, I'm proud of my son and, and I'm proud that he's taking account for his own indiscretions because he recently pled guilty and to a, a set of charges related to this type of activity. And that's the only thing that we're hearing out of the White House. So I, I, I don't know if there is something actually impeachable here, but the, the real problem goes back to our friend Bob Barr, I believe, cheapening the, the concept of impeachment by going after Bill Clinton. And, you know, he, he did what he did. You know, and, and, and in the erstwhile days of the Three Scotches podcast, we came down with our recording equipment with Jason's assistance and we sat down with Bob and I asked him the question during that podcast, which you cannot find. Don't go look for it. But in a podcast, I, I asked Bob, you knew you were you were going to lose. You knew you didn't have the votes in the Senate to convict him. Why did you do what you did? And his answer at the time, and I believe that he would still tell you this, is because I believe he did commit a crime. He perjured himself. And that is something you have to stand up for right, even when you know you're going to lose. And that's what Bob Barr's position was at the time. Similar to what Jason's position is now, you know you're going to lose if you go forward with this. Is it a distraction? I think it needs to be investigated. I, there is little to no faith in the Department of Justice to be able to do these things on their own. If a witness of this caliber with this type of evidence has been shut out from the investigative process and and is I mean, I, the, the articles I link to in our agenda are, are not from Fox News or Newsmax. They're from CBS and NBC who are pointing to this guy has 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 brought forward evidence. And then we have the IRS whistleblowers who also came forward to testify in front of Congress, raising additional questions that perhaps haven't been investigated. And there is a genuine lack of trust on, amongst conservatives nationwide in this Department of Justice ability to actually objectively look at that evidence to see. And we know we have no friends in the media. That, but it all goes back to this. You know, Marjorie Taylor Greene has done herself no favors in this either by continuing. And the, it, at the very least, you know, I, I think the second indictment Donald Trump or the second impeachment Donald Trump can be debated. The first one shouldn't be debated. It was a fraud. It was absolutely ridiculous that they they impeached him on this first time. I, I didn't think it was a fraud as much as I thought that it was a waste of time. Well, I, I think it's a fraud. No, and look, um, that's a that's a fair characterization. I I, I well, I wouldn't say. I wouldn't say it's un. I wouldn't say it's actually. I shouldn't say it's fair. What I would say is, I, I think, given what you refer to as the cheapening. Yes, of that's what, and that's the point. Is is and Marjorie Taylor Greene has continued to do this by saying, over and over again, we're going to find something. 
we're going to find something. We're going to impeach Joe Biden. You have to have a real reason. Yes. And so far, this seems like of no, all it, the things that have been thrown out for reasons to impeach, this seems like the most valid one that could potentially investigate. And I'm not saying it would get to a point where they would actually remove him or convict him or or, what, or even censure him. I'm just saying that if this is this is a these are a very serious set of allegations that somebody would use their position of authority and the public trust to help their son with business dealings that were not legal. And and that is something that I I believe should be investigated. And if it comes up with nothing, then fine. And and I know Jason probably believes probably validly that even if there is nothing, they're going to try to make something out of it. No, I, I, I think I certainly think that's true. And, and what I would say is I said the same thing in 2018, 2019, when Democrats were obvious, were very clearly moving forward towards an impeachment of Donald Trump. I, mean, I said I started writing that paper I, that in the, the interesting thing about that paper that I wrote was initially it was just me. And I sent it to Bob for a fact check. And Bob sent me back. He's like, why don't we co-author this? He's like, you know, I have the experience. I was like, yeah, absolutely. I'd love to have you on it. Because I've always, you know, I'm not an expert in impeachment, but I know a lot about it. And it's, I just, for me, the Trump, the first Trump impeachment was just an, they found the excuse they were looking for. Mm -hmm. I don't think it was necessarily invalid, the excuse, but I think it was cheapened by the fact that everyone knew what they were doing. I, I think and, – and I agree with Scott that the Clinton impeachment – and look, I, I agree with Bob and I agree with Scott. I agree with Bob in the sense of Bill Clinton broke the law. He, he suffered some consequences for that after he left office, the suspension of his law license being one of them. The, the problem – and I believe Clinton should, be held, should have been held accountable. There was a way to hold him accountable without the political process of impeachment. It was a mistake to impeach Bill Clinton. I agree. He should have censured um, him and moved on. I agree. The and by the way, that was an op, somebody actually floated that as an option. I think it was Senator Dianne Feinstein floated that as an option after the trial was dispensed with, and nobody was willing to go for it. You know, <laughs> I think the nation had endured enough. Uh, the, yeah. But the, the risk there are risks to this, and I'll come to those in a second. Um, but and Buzz, I swear to God, I'm going to get to you. The <laughs> the problem I see with this is I will I will concede to to both of you and to our listening audience that it certainly doesn't look good. You know, the the things that that have been alleged and even some of what has been uncovered thus far. The question you have to ask yourself and you have to take off your partisan blinders when you're considering this question and for some people that's going to be impossible to do and I understand that. In the absence of tangible proof that Joe Biden was involved here. And I understand that there's one person who says he was that person. Unfortunately has the taint of partisanship because he was invited to a debate that if, if and this impeachment's not a court of law, the, the standards and practices that go into a court of law do not apply in an impeachment. But if it was a court of law, bias would be alleged with all that being said, there is no tangible evidence that Joe Biden was involved here. I have heard some conservative supporters of impeachment, including some of my friends on the Hill who I've discussed this with in the past week, tell me that, well, you know, apparently an impeachment inquiry 
opens up broader investigatory powers. And we're just, you know, we're just trying to, to get to that. And my response back to them would today be, you can open broader investigatory powers without a vote of the United States House of Representatives. So what that tells me is you're relying on the investigatory powers you already had. <laughs> so that's problem number one. If they're not turning over documents, subpoena. And if they don't comply with the subpoenas, do what Democrats did uh, and the January 6th committee did when Republicans didn't com comply with the subpoenas. You refer them, you take a vote of the House, and you refer them to DOJ for criminal prosecution. If DOJ doesn't prosecute, you got to live with it because that's just the way the thing, things roll sometimes. I don't like it. You don't like it. It's just the way it is. But I think the political risks are just as great as the political risks, risks of not funding the government. I think it's a foregone conclusion right now that the House will most likely go Democratic next fall. And that's in part because of recent Supreme Court decisions on, on redistricting. Uh, I think that just it's it's just the way things are trending. Plus, in a, a presidential election year, uh, Democratic voters tend to turn out more in House districts than Republican voters. Um, I understand not everybody's going to agree with that. That's fine. I don't care. Uh, I don't. I don't – I think a government shutdown, which is likely at this point, plus if they, if they actually take an impeachment vote, I think those two things, considering there are 18 Republicans in districts Joe Biden won, are a perfect storm that will almost guarantee Republicans don't maintain control of the House come next November. Buzz, I am so sorry. Please, please <laughs> chime in here. Well, I think there's a lot a lot going on here. Obviously, there's the political angle, the internal caucus politics of this, which is that, you know, MTG and others were threatening and, the, you know, and the Freedom Caucus were driving the train on this, demanding that, you know, as a prerequisite for any attempt to support a fiscal solution here to avoid a shutdown, they this this was, you know, this had to happen. So there's part of that. But I, but I think, you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you, my my opinion of this has kind of changed over the day. At first I was like, this is, this is bad. This is going to allow MTG and others to stuff their campaign coffers. It's a distraction to the grassroots who are already distracted by 2020, you know, foolishness. And by this just helps it, you know, it's going to create a rallying effect around Biden and, and that probably all will happen. But I think Ben Dominich had an article today that I read right before we came on in The Spectator. McCarthy you know, tasked three chairmen, Comer and of Oversight, Jason Smith of Ways and Means, and, of course, Jim Jordan of Judiciary, to look into this stuff. Through, through I'm reading from the article now. Through subpoenas, bank records, and testimony, some public, some behind the scenes, Republicans established <coughs> – Clear connection between Joe Biden's official actions as VP and the work of his son Hunter to shake down foreign entities with more than 20 million passed through in payments to nine different Biden family members through a network of more than 20 LLCs set up after the patriarch became vice president. So, you know, that's a, that's <laughs> if they have that, if they can tie that, if they can show that that wound up, that some of that 20 million wound up in Joe's pocket. Then we have a whole different ball game, and yeah, I understand, Jason. You raised the point. You know that was while he was vice president, not while he's president. I think that the danger for Biden then is what Scott briefly mentioned: the these whistleblowers who are saying, you know, that there's 
been attempts to try to squash any investigation into Hunter Biden's activities through the IRS. And you had that crazy uh, plea deal, which the judge tossed out. And then, so I, I think there's there's more here than maybe than maybe people people have thought about. And yeah, there are a lot of dots to connect. But then, of course, there is, you know, back to your, you know, very solid point, Jason, you're never going to convict him. You're never going to convict him and remove, remove him from office because you will never get a single Democrat. Even if you even if you had a smoking gun evidence of Joe Biden taking this, you know, some of that 20 million winding up in his pocket and clearly using his the office of vice president for his own personal gain. You'll still, because of how partisan things are, and because people like Marjorie Taylor Greene are leading the charge here, you'll never get a conviction. And so I, I'm, I'm torn on it, but I, I do think, I guess where I come down is you, you have to investigate this. There's enough, they, they've done a certain level of investigation and, and uncovered some pretty, pretty shady stuff. Might as well finish it and it, see where this leads. No, I, I, the investigation side of this may well prove to be worth it but i they have been doing this it's now september they have been doing this for eight months Mm -hmm. there have been talks of recordings of phone calls hold on scott recordings of talks of uh, recordings of phone calls uh that have not been produced and there's an open question whether or not they even exist the the what you mentioned buzz which i had not seen before and i would appreciate you sending that to me you know but and in the absence of evident, tangible evidence, what I'm saying is, uh, you know, there has to be a clear smoking gun. Yeah. You know, and I think I used the euphemism yesterday. It's like, yeah, well, there, somebody said, well, where there's smoke, there's, there's fire. It's like, is it, is there a fire? Or is there a fog machine? Because, right. <laughs> because conjecture and assumption is not evidence. Right. There's gotta be, there's gotta be more. And, well, and, just... if they, and, and look, but all, all I'm saying, and look, I'll, I'll end on this, Scott. All I'm saying is they've had eight months to present a case. Mm-hmm. They didn't have to, to bring it out under the guise of impeachment. They could have called it anything else. Now it's now that what they've been doing, they're just going to go ahead and call it an impeachment inquiry. There has not been an impeachment inquiry that did not result in impeachment of a president, whether it's a formal one or not. And I, I, I am, I think the political ramifications plus the distraction that it is from act, from things that in my mind actually matter is I think it's going to bite Republicans in the rear end. Scott, go ahead. I'll give you the last well, word. We're is, going to move on. Well, uh, actually, I, it just might be another conversation because you, you kept mentioning the, they've had eight months. So the, the natural question is why now, right? Is this a ploy by Speaker McCarthy to keep Marjorie Taylor Greene in line for the spending deal? Is, is, are we at that level of cynicism that he's only doing this and and the this because he didn't have the votes for a, a full house vote, it, and he's, is he only doing this to keep those folks in line so he can count on them when it comes time for the spinning deal and or to remain a speaker? Yeah, I think it's I think it's a little bit of that's, both. I think it's that's more, part of it. There's no doubt that's part of it, right? I, I think it's a little bit of both, but I think more more than anything else, I think it's about the latter, not so much the former. The because you have you have more than enough Republicans who are upset about the spending levels. And the in even the House appropriations bills, let alone the Senate appropriations bills, which spend even more than the House ones, who who are going to tank those bills in that in the absence of an agreement on top line spending numbers for all twelve appropriations bills, 
I think it's more the threat that McCarthy is facing that his job is at risk. Mm-hmm. And, and look, going into September, the conversations I was having with some friends on the Hill, nobody knows what to expect this month. Right. Not on a government well, so shutdown. The, nobody, nobody, can, nobody can look you in the eye and guarantee you that Kevin McCarthy will remain speaker through the end of this month. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, right. Immediately after, right, what's the first thing Matt Gates does? Said of, well, we're going to, you know. I'm I'm not impressed, more or less, yes. and uh, I I will continue to threaten uh, to call the you know call to call for a vacation, vacating the chair <laughs> anytime I want to. Yeah, no, and that's so. <laughs> and that's the that's and that's the threat. Look, I you know I I think at this stage in my my professional career, I long for the days of John Boehner and Paul Ryan. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, no, you can quote me on that. The you know, I, I said that to people, other people as well. Like, that's not a surprise to anybody who, who's talked to me in the it's just John Boehner. It's wow. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it is what it is, but Boehner the, and Ryan may not, may not uh, long for the days of Boehner and Ryan. Though, <laughs> I'm sure they don't. Happy I'm, I'm, I'm sure they don't. Where they are. <laughs> I, I, I never met John Boehner, but I met Paul Ryan. And I, I just got to say the guy was such a nice, such an incredibly nice guy. And just a brilliant policy mind too. The Kevin McCarthy is not John Boehner and Paul Ryan. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he is, he is at best an empty suit and everybody knows it. So. Hmm. Yeah. Well, we, <laughs> I guess as the month plays out, we'd probably have to revisit that topic because there still remains nobody else with the ability, you know, yeah. to, 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 to credibly challenge him. No. And, and that's the thing. There's nobody <laughs> on, there's no Steve Scalise, you know, and, and my thoughts are with him and his family has been diagnosed yes. with cancer. Tom Emmer's the next in line. And I think Emmer is the guy that, that probably gets the job at the end, but does he want it? You know, right. you know, there's the, the derisively named assistant speaker, Garrett Graves. And this is a, people on the hill who are derisively calling him the assistant speaker you know he's he's an option as well but i don't think he's i don't think i don't know how well liked he is in the conference Mm -hmm. you know so but that's neither here nor there and and we will certainly revisit this topic next week i am sure because it's and and the topic i'm talking about impeachment i'm also talking about kevin mccarthy's future because i look like i said i think it's up in the air i think it could go either way right now and it's really how much he can placate his far right base to remain in power. I think that's, and these guys, you know, we talk about, we talk about Democrats looking for an excuse. And I think Republicans are also looking for an excuse to, to impeach. I think there are certain members of the, the, the house Republican conference, particularly that far right branch, the house freedom caucus, who are looking for any excuse to, to get rid of Kevin yeah. McCarthy. And isn't that just an extension of the Colton Moore problem? Yes. I mean, you, you, you have a four vote majority that doesn't of one chamber. That doesn't mean you can ram whatever you want to ram down the throats of, of Chuck Schumer and, and Joe Biden. That's right. So. Yeah, no. And <laughs> plus, they already thought there was a deal on spending. So go figure. Yep. So we got a couple more quick topics and we're going to we're going to end it. So Governor Kemp uh, has taken a shot at Donald Trump, which was is well, well deserved. Uh, any shot at Donald Trump is well deserved, in, in my opinion. So he's he's actually criticizing Brian Kemp and, and as well as Ron DeSantis. And although I don't like DeSantis, I will defend him over COVID shutdowns. Donald Trump is criticizing Kemp and DeSantis and other governors for for shutting down their economies. And and 
Brian Kemp uh, was quick to point out that the fact is former President Trump led the opposition to my decision to reopen Georgia, the first state in the country to do so. While he listened to Fauci and parroted media talking points, I listened to hardworking Georgians. He may not remember, but I sure as hell do. Kudos <laughs> to you, Governor Kemp. And I will I will say that I jokingly would refer, we had FreedomWorks had a podcast at the time, and I would often joke that I lived in the free state of Georgia while everybody, <laughs> everybody else was shut down. So, you know, Brian Kemp is obviously absolutely right. And that, that, that t- the tweet that Governor Kemp retweeted was from the Daily Caller and they, they, <laughs> They gave a reader's added context warning on that tweet. So worth, <laughs> worth noting there. But Buzz, Donald Trump sucks. We all know it. But this this criticism certainly is really missing the mark. Well, yeah, it's 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 a bizarre phenomenon of Trump and and Trumpism it, is that you think you can just say whatever the heck you want to say and that nobody will ever remember what you used to say. And he got, a, you know, in some ways he's gotten away with it for a long time. But this this COVID thing, people remember. And it's it. I think it could, you know, if if he does have an Achilles heel, this could be it. And if he continues to talk about it, which he has, he and his minions have been talking this way since the get go, that somehow Ron DeSantis was the evil COVID person and Donald Trump was the hero. And all people have to do is point out. Who put Fauci front and center? It wasn't Ron DeSantis. It was Donald Trump. Who you know? Who gave Fauci the Medal of Honor or whatever, whatever it was, the Presidential Medal of Freedom or whatever? It sure wasn't Ron DeSantis. So it's stupid and idiotic for Trump to continue to talk this way, but this is what he does because a whole bunch of his followers will just parrot whatever he says, and so they're all out there saying the same thing yeah. that Trump says. Scott? Uh, I, I'm old enough to remember the moment that Brian Kemp is referring to, and I remember the president coming into the White House briefing room, press briefing room, to let yeah. them know I I did not like this plan. I did not. I, I this is what I told to this man Brian Kemp with a big old P at the end where he <laughs> popped this P. I, I remember that very clearly. I, I remember him saying. Uh, these words, quote, I disagree with him on what he's doing. I think it's too soon. And he completely threw Brian Kemp under the bus for reopening. But here's the catch, right? That it was like 24 hours before that in a private call between the White House and the governor where Brian, where Brian Kemp was told by the president, I, I love your plan. I think it's great. It was only after Brian Kemp made the announcement and the media went guano crazy over what Kemp was was trying to do. And he was being labeled as a murderer and a a death merchant. These were real phrases that were uttered in the media. An an experiment in human sacrifice. Uh, An experiment uh, in human sacrifice. Great pull, Buzz, because that was another one of those things. And only after that level of, of... Furor was developed. Did Brian, did uh, the, the President Trump go into the White House briefing room to throw Kemp under the bus and say, I'm, I disagree with what he was doing, which he never told. He never said those words to Brian Kemp. He just never did. And we know that because I, I, I know people that were in the room when that call happened. Sources familiar with the situation, is, as the press likes to say. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm proud of the governor for coming out swinging on it now. 
I, I remember very clearly telling one of the governor's staffers at the time that it happened that they needed to be public about it back then. But the, the concern was, you know, more focused on Georgia and just getting Georgia reopened and less about picking fights with the president of the United States. Yeah. And, and so I'm glad it's happening now. But it's a story that has been under the radar for a long time. No, it, it has been. I'm glad Governor Kemp, who no doubt feels very liberated uh, <laughs> since his reelection to to say what he wants, you know, about about the person who made his life hell for for at least a few months, if not longer. So but before we get to our last topic and we get to our Patreons, I do want to give a shout out to ALZ.org. This is the Alzheimer's Association. The mission of the Alzheimer's Association is leading the way to end Alzheimer's and all, all other forms of dementia by accelerating global research, driving risk as education and early detection and maximizing quality care and support. But folks, they can't do that without your help. And when you're not helping us out here at the Peach, Peach Pun at the podcast by being one of our Patreons, strongly encourage you to open up your wallets and go to ALZ.org and donate to the Alzheimer's Association. It's an important cause. It's one that I know, as I've mentioned before, has touched my life because of family members who have dealt with Alzheimer's and dementia. And, and I would even say, just given some of my own we've talked about a little bit about mental health, that's probably how I'll go out is through dementia, just knowing my family history with it. If, if politics doesn't kill me sooner, but folks, it's important. And, and, and I like to always like inject levity in situations like this, but it's, it's very important that we continue our research and try to find a cure or at least a way to improve the quality of life for people who are dealing with these two just awful diseases. So mm. anyway, before we go out, state Senator Sean still, who has been indicted in the Georgia elections case. And, and Scott, I do not know why you put this one at the very end. You've, you've got to prioritize, bro. We talked about the grand jury report earlier. Uh, <laughs> listen, I have been told many times by the the point guard of this podcast, Jason Pye, that he picks the order. I just put the, I just put it together. I recall, order. I recall saying that once and, and I didn't look that far down <laughs> until literally just now because I was going to yeah. I saw I saw Cop City and I was like, I'm going to end it there. Yeah, we're not, we're, we're not, not going to discuss today. that yeah. today. So, but so Sean, tell me, it, this tell me. is a really quick update. This is a news thing to expect within the next 48 hours from the time this podcast is being recorded because the 14 days is up, I think tomorrow or the next day. And rumor has it because they're not allowed to discuss the, the proceedings that the, the proceedings happened already this week. And the report is due on the determination of Sean Still's status. This is his commission because he's indicted, has to determine whether or not he will remain a state senator or will be suspended from office. And and even Democrats on Twitter are saying don't expect him to be suspended. So that's just a quick update. Expect that news to happen break within the next 48 hours or so. Thank you, Scott. Folks, that's all we have. If you've endured nearly an hour and a half of listening us, to us talk, I am. Uh, let me first. Let me first apologize, and I mean that with all sincerity, because there, we are all three of us are full of shit. So don't say uh, that about Buzz. Well, Scott is. Jason is. But don't it's, say it about uh, Buzz. No, it's, but it's it's the shoe fizz. It's true. We appreciate we appreciate the 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 time that you carve out in your week for us here at Peach Fun of the podcast, this is, this is actually, I, I will say this. And, and, and as much as Scott pissed me off earlier today, at some point we will have a discussion about this uh, on the podcast. Just not today. 
and probably not next week either. The this is always a highlight of my week, and I, I always get upset when I can't do it. But you know, uh, for those of you who've reached, I've talked to a few people recently back home who who I know listen to the podcast and have had nothing but kind words to say. Guys, we appreciate it. Yeah. But for those of you who are willing to throw us a yeah. few bucks to help us offset our costs as well as to pay for, I mean, frankly, the content that you read at Peach Punt at the blog, because we do try to throw a little bit to our bloggers here and there. Please go to patreon.com slash peach pundit and and give us give us five, ten bucks if you can. It would be tremendously helpful. And you know, I, I'll speak from here because I know people might be saying, well, these guys all work in politics. I don't take money. I don't know about the rest of them. I don't take money. I have a day job. But it's important that we help out with our contributors who really keep us running and give us mm. topics to talk about. So yeah. with that, I'll shut up and let Scott add anything and then list our Patreons. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things we have tiers over there and the $5 is uh, just basically a thank you. We give you a shout out and I'll read those in a second, but we have the $10 tier, which allows you the opportunity to actually watch us live. We've had a couple of requests. When can I see your beautiful faces? First question is what's wrong with you? Second question, (laughs) but the answer to that question is the $10 tier will allow you to actually participate via chat. We, uh, We oftentimes have our Patreons participate that way. So, and you also get the agenda emailed to you on the day that we record, letting you know what we're going to be talking about with links that fill out the the blanks that we kind of miss. But we have these three folks who are currently at the hundred dollar tier, which we never thought we threw that on there thinking nobody is ever going to sign up for the hundred dollar tier, but there's a ton of value in it actually, because our audience is well-established. Our audience is well-informed. Our audience are the influencers in Georgia politics, and some of them are even on a national basis. But if you are looking to advertise, the $100 tier has been a great way, a ton of value for $100 a month for us to give you a shout out the way that we do to our our well-established audience. But with that, I have to announce that the $100 tier for Patreon is going to go away on October 1st. But if anybody signs up between now and then, the $100 tier will remain in effect for them. They will be grandfathered in. We will continue to use the the deal that we have on there until then. Going forward after that, if you remain, if you're a $100 tier member and you remain paying your monthly subscription fee, we will continue to honor that deal in, until you decide you don't longer want to participate at that level. It will be replaced by a, an ad um, sheet, if you will, a price sheet that will more accurately reflect the value that this podcast is presenting to our advertisers. So again, if you want to participate at the $100 level, you, you get in now before October 1st. Otherwise, we will be revisiting how we do advertising on the podcast. But these are the people who rock. These are the people who voluntarily reach into their pocket and we give them a shout out every week to thank them for being patrons to the podcast. That would be Bill Werkheiser, Colin Martin, Tony West at AFP, Robert Lee at Lee6 Media, Shannon Ferguson, Stuart Wilkinson, Ari Schaefer, Ron Daniels, Mike Buchert, Andrew Smith, our anonymous contributor, Andy Allen, Bo Brannon, Ryan Graham, Hunter Burnett, John Vestal, Reed Powell, Benjamin Hurst, and Sam Thomas. Sam Thomas being the OG Patreon. Thank you so much for your contribution, and we appreciate it. Go, again, hit the like button on this podcast, this episode. Do it, Leave us a review. Give us five stars, please. Tell your friends about us. Share the link. We appreciate you. 
And if you're groaning on about an hour and a half podcast, I want to remind you folks that we could have easily done three. We can talk. The, 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 <laughs> yeah. we, the, yes, we, we could easily go three hours and probably we, longer. We usually we try a, to keep it to an hour. And I thought with the topics we, that we have, it would be at one hour, but we just we disagree sometimes and it creates we had a half an hour discussion even before we came on the air so. yeah, yeah we, so did. I, <laughs> we I, did i've seen you clowns for like two hours now my fiance is fiance fiance yes. i'm getting used to saying it is on the way home <laughs> and so yeah i'll see you i'll see you guys later i don't want to talk to you anymore bye bye, bye. go dogs jackets go owls <laughs>